Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets at Interactive Investor, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Carl Caldwell, Deputy Editor of our sister magazine, Money Observer, and Rebecca O'Keefe, our Head of Investment. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, investment trust bargains with Kyle and how to invest in what you know with Rebecca. So, Kyle, we mentioned uh, investment trust bargains. What is an investment trust bargain? Well, investment trust bargains arise because of the investment trust structure. An investment trust trades on either a premium or a discount. And the reason behind that is because investment trusts have two values. The value of the trust holdings themselves, which is called the net asset value, and also separately the price of its shares on the stock market. If the trust is popular, it will tend to trade on a premium and vice versa. If it's it's unpopular, for whatever reason, it will trade on a discount. This could be due to the investment trust having a a rough patch in terms of performance or in general due to lack of demand for how the fund manager invests or the region the fund manager invests in. But presumably the fact that an investment trust is on a discount doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bargain. That's correct, Richard, yeah. There are some investment trusts that will persistently sit on quite a wide discount. And the way to to assess whether an investment trust on a discount is a bargain or not is to look at the historical discount of the investment trust. For instance, over the last 12 months or even further out over the past three years or five years and compare that with today's discount. That'll give you a better idea about whether the the investment trust is a true bargain or not. And information on um, discounts and premiums for investment trusts should be listed by your broker. And in, ca- and in the case of Interactive Investor, which is um, Money Observer's sister company, the information is displayed for each trust on the website. And there's a uh, handy comparison tool that shows the discount and premium ratings for the sector the trust sits in. So have you got any um, obvious examples of where perhaps some of these bargains can be found at the moment? As um, we all know, the UK equity market is really loathed. It has been for a considerable amount of time now, um, you know, the last 12, 18 months certainly, been loathed by both domestic and international investors. And as, as you know, Richard, on the whole, investors are sitting on the sidelines and are adopting a wait-and-see approach as we head towards the um, end of October Brexit deadline. And for UK investment trusts, particularly investment trusts to have an income focus, this is reflected um, within that sector, as there's a lot of trusts in the UK equity income investment trust uh, sector that are on a discount. A couple that stand out is um, Aberdeen Standard Equity Income. It's on a discount at the moment of 6.4%, whereas over the past year, the discount's typically been 2%. And also there's the Diverse Income Trust, this on a discount of um, 7.8% versus a, it's usually on a, over the past year, it's typically been on a, a small premium. And there's also JP Morgan Claverhouse. Again, that's on a, a 4% discount. And over the past year, it's typically been on a discount of 0.5%. And all that data is to close a trading um, on uh, the 20th of August. And um, as we know, obviously, the, the standout wide discount is Wolford Patient Capital, managed by Neil Wolford. But um, you know, it stands out like a sore thumb for, for all the wrong reasons, I'd say. Sure. Um, and just finally, Carl, um, obviously, an interactive investor, we're very much asset agnostic. So could you just very briefly um, explain for the record the kind of difference between funds and investment trusts in, in terms of their, their different structure? So as mentioned before, investment trusts, they 
due to the structure they either trade on a premium or a discount and um, the reason why is because it has two values which is the value of the trust underlying holdings themselves and then the price of the shares on the stock market a fund on the other hand an open-ended fund they are priced in units in the jargon they're not a share they're not listed on the stock market they are just a portfolio of the underlying holdings but investment trusts have other advantages to this structure that open-ended funds don't have and these include a fixed pool of assets which means the fund manager is not does not have to um, deal with um, inflows and outflows which is when investors invest or, or when they withdraw there's also a independent board of directors that um, oversee investment trusts and they keep an eye on how the trust is performing and whether the, the fund manager is investing in the way that they, they should be. And also a big bonus for income investors is that um, investment trusts are able to hold back 15% of income generated in an investment trust every year. And this means that if if there's a lean year, the financial crisis for instance was a case in point, then investment trusts can then dip into the till and um, use some of that money that they've put in reserve and continue to um, to grow that dividend. Whereas open-ended funds, they do not have that luxury and they have to distribute all of the income that, that they generate. That's terrific. Thanks very much indeed, Kyle. Rebecca, so what does it mean, invest in what you know? Does it mean avoid anything you don't understand? There is no doubt that investing in industries you know and things you understand is a sensible strategy, but I personally don't subscribe to the view that you should never invest in industries you don't know, as there are so many new technologies coming on stream all the time. However, I do subscribe to the theory that you shouldn't necessarily buy into the hype. Chances are, by the time you see it on the 10 o'clock news, the share price is already priced in a lot of the upside. But I do firmly believe that we all possess far more information than we realize about some companies. And this could give you a huge steer in relation to what to buy or potentially what to avoid. That sounds intriguing. So what sort of examples might you have? As a gin drinker, yes, yes, I am one of those. I was an early adopter of Fever Tree, along with a lot of people I know. But unfortunately, I didn't convert this love of the product into buying their shares. But it is an example of how, if you and your friends all like a particular product, then the chances are that you may be representative of a much wider cohort of people, which will have a positive impact on its share price. I have done 90% of my Christmas shopping on Amazon for years and been a prime member for over a decade, again, during which time Amazon's share price has soared. But it's not just about what companies to buy, it could be what companies to avoid too. On one occasion some years ago when I was out shopping, I noticed that the queue to get into the local new Lidl store was enormous whilst Tesco down the road was nearly empty. And this proved to be a simple but effective indicator that the challenger supermarkets were starting to bite. So I guess what I'm saying is that we all have access to a huge amount of information that could be very valuable and investing in what you know is a good way to take advantage of it. Are you basically then talking about scuttlebutt? I am. That is in effect exactly what it is. So scuttlebutt investing refers to rumours and gossip. It's actually based on the premise of the water cooler, um, where you actually hear what's going on in the world. But the idea that you can learn a lot about a company from methods other than looking at its annual results. And I'm not talking about getting an inside scoop on whether a company is going to be taken over. I'm suggesting you look beyond the simple paper-based financials and try and find out more about a company directly. You could do this by shopping there, asking staff what they think about the company, both current and potentially former if you know any, asking your friends what they think, asking competitors. 
you know, heck, you could even ask the opinion of a taxi driver and they're definitely usually quite happy to chat. You should also potentially look at online reviews and I am not just talking about the lovely screened reviews that are showcased on a company website. Basically, it's paying attention to what is going on, the direction the company is taking, and this can give you information beyond what is being considered by the market and what already might be priced into the share price. So I've often been surprised at just how much information is available to investors if we only open our eyes and look. So have you got any more gems in relation to what we could invest in? I think it is about thinking about what changes you've made to your, in relation to your own shopping habits, your eating habits, etc. But don't forget you have other sources of information too, like your kids or grandkids. Pokemon Go was such a phenomenon that it had a major impact on the Nintendo share price. So I guess you could ask yourself, are your kids avidly playing a particular new game and you're having difficulty crowbarring them away from their Xbox or PlayStation, etc. Accompanying one of my kids on the traditional university open day trips, we ended up having lunch at a fair few Weatherspoons, and I was blown away by just how, how popular the pubs were. Though my then 18-year-old was fairly disparaging to his old mother and remarked, where else would you get a pizza and a pint for £8? <laughs> is it always that easy? Good question, and the answer is, of course, no. You do need to be aware that one source of information may not deliver the right answer, and you still need to do as much analysis and due diligence as possible on anything you might want to invest in. You also need to get your timing right. Going back to our original example of Fevertree, it was a fantastic company to buy into if you got in early enough, but the share price then got significantly ahead of itself and has fallen sharply from its highs. So, as with every investment, it's worth paying attention and there is nothing wrong with taking a profit if you got in early enough and made some good returns. That is fundamentally what investment is all about. So keep your eyes open, look at your own personal shopping and other habits and those of your friends and family, and you may well be able to spot potential gems long before the share price catches up. Thanks very much indeed, Rebecca. Thanks also to Kyle. And thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.